Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up this morning, we conclude our week-long series, 9-11 plus 20, the day everything changed. How true is that sentiment 20 years later? And can young adults born after 9-11 fully appreciate how different the world is now? Also this morning, Operation Enduring Service. For all of us, the lasting impact and empowering legacy of 9-11 can be found in the opportunities to transform local communities here at home. And also, of course, we get a preview of week number four of the high school football season. The Findlay Trojans handled Bowling Green with ease, but the big story coming out of that game was a change at quarterback. Coach Stefan Adams discusses the switch and previews this week's showdown at Toledo Central Catholic. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, September 10th, 2021. If you are looking for a reason to celebrate, we always like to start with the uh, list of uh, observances uh, each day. And uh, one of the more uh, unique celebrations, uh, observances today, is International Creepy Boston Dynamics Robotic Horse Day. (laughs) International Creepy Boston Dynamics uh, Robotic Horse Day. When I saw this on the list, of course, I figured there's got to be a story, right? So here it is. It is a day dedicated to a robotic horse made by Boston Dynamics, which is so lifelike that it can be really, really creepy. It is based off of one of their other robots, the big dog, and has the technical name of the Legged Squad Support System, or LS3. Its creation was funded by the Department of Defense Advanced Research Project Agency and the United States Marine Corps. By using its computer vision, the robotic horse can follow its human master around without someone controlling it or driving it. It also has GPS, obstacle avoidance, and terrain sensing. It can also use its camera to gather intelligence. And with the ability to go over rough terrain... It was designed to be able to go anywhere that Marines and soldiers could go on foot. And it can carry up to 400 pounds, was designed to help carry their loads. Its battery allows it to walk approximately 20 miles. It is almost five and a half feet tall and weighs over 1,200 pounds. And uh, September 10th became International Creepy Boston Dynamics Robotic Horse Day, Because it was on this day in 2012 when two prototypes were demonstrated in an outdoor test with the hopes that a marine company would be using one in the field by 2014. However, the Marines mothballed the project, put the robotic horses in storage a year later because of their loud noise, uh, which would be bad in battle. It's hard to sneak up on somebody when you got a loud robot <laughs> companion. So their loud noise, their difficulty to repair when they break down, as you can imagine, as highly technical as they are, it's not something you can just tinker with. Uh, so their difficulty to repair and the challenge of integrating them into marine patrols. So as great of an idea as it was, the Boston Dynamics robotic horse uh, was a essentially a failed project. I don't know how much they spent on this, but if nothing else, it gave us International Creepy Boston Dynamics Robotic Horse Day. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is also International Makeup Day, uh, National Hot Dog Day, National Swap Idea Day, National TV Dinner Day, National So Be It Day, So, as in sewing, uh, needle sewing thread, So Be It Day, and uh, on a serious note, it is World Suicide Prevention Day today. So, occasions to uh, celebrate today. So, this is uh, big news. We may have a new political party very soon. Andrew Yang, who failed by a lot in the 2020 Democratic presidential primary and subsequently the 2021 New York City Democratic mayoral primary, did get a lot of attention uh, during both his presidential run and his mayoral run. Some devoted followers who dubbed themselves the Yang Gang So now, according to a report in Politico, Mr. Yang is leveraging that popularity and has left the Democratic Party planning to launch a new third party. Um, Perhaps unsurprisingly, the uh, the reported new party creation is happening in conjunction with the release of Andrew Yang's new book. Forward, Notes on the Future of Our Democracy. Uh, That'll be out October 5th. Publisher Crown writes that the book is an indictment of America's, quote, era of institutional failure, unquote, and will present the various priests of the decline of America, including politicians whose incentives have become divorced from the people they supposedly serve. Again, quoting from the write-up here. Uh, Andrew Yang should be noted as never... Uh, served, uh, never held political office himself. He's a former businessman who headed a test prep company. The central plank of his runs for office was a universal basic income plan that would have the government provide everyone $1,000 a month. So I'm assuming that that would be his, uh, the central part of his new political party as well. So... Make of that what you will, but we'll see. I'm sure we're all hanging on the edge of our seat. This new uh, third political party. Just what we need. A new political party. This is big news, too. Yeah, we talk about the first things you need to know, the most important, most buzzworthy, most interesting stories of the day. Scientists have discovered a new dinosaur. Uh, Scientists have discovered... That this, uh, this new dinosaur that ruled the food chain before the T-Rex came before the T-Rex. 26-foot-long carnivore weighed more than a ton and lived around 90 million years ago, they say. According to a study from the University of Calgary in Canada and Tsukaba University in Japan, the uh, Ulongbexaurus... Ulongbexaurus, Ulugbexaurus, this new dinosaur, whose name I obviously can't pronounce, would have roamed Central Asia during the late uh, Crustaceous period, I guess. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't know that much about that era of history, pre-human history, but that's what it says. A new dinosaur. I just thought that's that's got to be significant, right? I can't pronounce it. I don't know anything about it. I don't understand any of the science behind it. But when they say we've discovered a new dinosaur, that seems rather significant. I'm thinking that's worth mentioning. 
Impossible Foods bringing more to the table. Uh, this time it is a plant-based chicken nugget. Uh, plant-based nuggets are described as having a golden crispy breadcrumb coating and a juicy and springy white meat texture, but no meat. Restaurants all over the U.S. will feature these nuggets on their menu, and consumers can pick up bags for themselves at stores such as Walmart, Kroger, and others uh, later this month. Suggested price, $7.99 for 20 pieces. According to Impossible Foods, quote, seven out of ten consumers preferred the Impossible Chicken Nuggets to animal-based chicken nuggets from a leading brand in a blind taste test involving 201 meat-eating consumers in Texas, many of whom also regularly consume plant-based products. So, make of that what you will, but plant-based chicken nuggets are coming. From Impossible Foods. And I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, but Burger King has banned 120 artificial ingredients from its menu, uh, including high fructose corn syrup and several food dyes. Uh, The move was announced last year with an ad campaign featuring a time lapse of a Whopper growing old and moldy over time. The chain's chief marketing officer said in a statement that they hope their ongoing commitment to real food will not only provide guests with the food they're looking for, but also set a standard for the industry overall, unquote. So Burger King banning artificial ingredients, same time, Impossible Foods coming up with artificial chicken nuggets, but which will probably be uh, served in Burger King restaurants. Well, I mean, they have the impossible Whopper, so I'm guessing they will probably have the impossible nuggets as well. But no artificial ingredients, no. And how crazy is this? A really uh, interesting story. You know how the uh, wildfire has been raging out west. The uh, Caldor fire that uh, has been consuming South Lake Tahoe or near South Lake Tahoe, destroying dozens of cabins, skipped two cabins in the area one of which was wrapped in what appeared to be aluminum foil. the <laughs> Like a big baked potato. Um, it's not actually aluminum foil, but a fire blanket, which is designed to protect cabins and other structures from wildfires by preventing firebrands or large burning embers from entering buildings through gutters, eaves, vents, broken windows and roofs, or lodging in corners or other angular spots where they can then ignite a, a home on fire. So this pre- prevents that because it's wrapped in aluminum foil. It's not really aluminum foil. Also works by keeping homes from making direct contact with the flames and by reflecting thermal radiation from a large fire burning nearby over a sustained pili- period, protecting the house from bursting into flames from the intense heat. Fumiyaki Takahashi an engineering professor at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland tells the San Francisco Chronicle that the blankets are proven to block up to 92% of the convective heat and 96% of the radiation and are effective for protecting structures for a short period while the wildfire front passes, but longer protection would be needed to prevent structure-to-structure ignition. Uh, the uh, foil is usually applied with thousands of staples, uh, isn't really tin foil or aluminum foil, 
although it is sold in rolls, big, huge rolls. It's aluminum on the outside, woven threads of polyester and fiberglass on the inside, and laminated with a high-temperature adhesive. And uh, the company that makes it fires at a San Diego company, uh, says it is uh, perfectly engineered uh, after years of research. Isn't that crazy? You're wrapping your home in aluminum foil like a giant plate of leftovers. <laughs> but if it works, I mean, there were only two houses in this uh, area of the Caldor fire that did not burn, and one of them was wrapped in this stuff. So, But can you imagine the expense and the time it would take to wrap your... I mean, you would have to start the moment a fire started. I mean, you know, I, I can't imagine this would be something you could do in a couple of hours. Uh, once you know that the fire is headed your way, you have to really be preemptive uh, uh, toward this. So I, I don't know, but it's just kind of interesting uh, idea. Maybe it'll uh, catch on, especially out west where they have all of those wildfires. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your TGI Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, mostly sunny today with a high of 78, mostly clear tonight, a low of 59. Cooper Tires Findlay Manufacturing Plant is celebrating production of its 200 millionth tire. Plant manager Mark Crimebrink says this is quite the accomplishment. I sincerely appreciate the dedication, hard work, and commitment to quality that our Finley team has delivered day in and day out to produce this significant body of work. The Finley plant was built in 1919 and was Cooper Tire's first manufacturing facility. Get more on the company's milestone accomplishment on our website. Gliding Stars of Findlay is back and looking for on-ice volunteers. Gliding Stars is an adaptive ice skating program that gives people with special needs a chance to enjoy some time on the ice with the help of a coach. What we see with our stars from being on the ice is they do gain a lot of motor skills, obviously, from being on the ice, strengthening. Uh, We have seen speech take off, just that interaction of being on the ice and that movement. Director Cindy Briegel says it's very rewarding to be an on-ice volunteer, and they still need some volunteers for the upcoming season. Learn more about Gliding Stars of Findlay and how to volunteer on our website. The Ohio Department of Health reports that COVID hospitalizations increased by 22% over the past week. Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff says we all need to continue taking steps to reduce the spread of the virus. However, in order for any of that to work, it is the people of Ohio who have to make it work. He says some hospitals in the state have started rescheduling elective surgeries to free up space for COVID patients. Get more on our website. A reminder that Findlay and Hancock County will be holding a parade and memorial ceremony to recognize the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The parade will begin at 9 a.m. Saturday on South Main Street at Lake Cascades Parkway, 6th Street. The parade will go north to Sandusky and then turn east on Sandusky, ending at the Hancock County Fairgrounds, where a memorial ceremony will be held at the Old Millstream Center. Give more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. You know, it's often said that everything changed on September 11th, the day everything changed. So 
As we approach the 20th anniversary, it's appropriate, I think, that we stop to examine just how true that statement is. We are joined by Dr. Elizabeth Buchanan, Assistant Professor of History at the University of Findlay. And Dr. Buchanan, there are, there are obvious ways uh, that 9-11 has changed history and changed our lives. It was the catalyst for a 20-year war on terror that still is really not resolved, as we have seen with the events over the past month. And anyone who has been on a plane in the last 20 years knows how air travel has changed. But when you consider that statement about September 11th being the day things changed, are there more subtle examples that you see ways that we might not necessarily immediately recognize? I can think of a couple changes um, that are perhaps not as obvious. I mean, one of the results of September 11th is, of course, the government put together the Department of Homeland Security Mm -hmm. and backed it up with a number of intelligence um, experts to continually keep an eye out for future threats. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because you know threats don't have to come from the from the Taliban or or Osama bin Laden. You know there's other potential threats out there, and one of the the effects I think of September 11th is it demonstrated that non nations, in other words, small terrorist groups not directly tied to any nation mm-hmm. in the world, could with money and um, time put together potential threats. Um, September 11th was an ideal example of that when a small group of terrorists used airplanes as weapons in a way that hadn't been done before. Yeah. So the United States built up its intelligence capacity to try to protect the nation in the future. And actually, it's been successful in the sense there's been no major terrorist event in the United States. How long that continues is always you know something you can only hope and pray for. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but therein lies two changes. So change one, the fact that non-nations, it, w- it became clear that non-nations, in other words, small terrorist groups, could yeah. present a significant threat. That's change one. Change two is, in reaction to that, the United States put together basically a formidable intelligence capability to try to do the best to protect us. Because, And I don't know if if you knew this, but I worked for the Transportation Security Administration. I joined them shortly after September 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen the fact that um, terrorists continued to make efforts to attack airplanes in particular, um, also potentially subways and other forms of transportation. Right. And the United States, to date, has been successful in warding that off and preventing serious harm. When and, and to a certain extent, again, and that that kind of goes back to what we were saying. Anybody who's been on an airplane in the last twenty years knows how different. Well, presumably, if you uh, flew before nine eleven and then after nine eleven, you know what a dramatic difference that is. And with respect to the way it kind of touches our everyday lives, it seems as though we are much more cognizant of perhaps an inherent risk. I mean, for years we heard that uh, if you see something, say something. And I I think many of us still keep that in the back of our mind, uh, if not only subconsciously. And and that certainly uh, is a way that we individually have been changed. No, I absolutely agree with you. And we are more aware of it and more conscious of it. And I think perhaps more willing to take 
um, proactive steps to prevent it. And I'm thinking right now um, of the plane that went down in in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. You know, the passengers knew from their cell phones what had happened uh, with regard to the the trade towers and the Pentagon. Yeah, and the passengers decided um, they were going to step up, knowing that they were probably dead in any event. Yeah, um, but in order to protect fellow Americans, that took a phenomenal courage. Um, it was a major shift because. You know, prior to this, if you were on a plane that was hijacked and you kept quiet, most of the time, you know, the plane might end up, you know, going to Cuba or somewhere, but none of the passengers would be injured. Once in a great Mm. while, you know, some would be injured, but not often. Right. And so people had gotten used to being quiet and just, you know, um, waiting waiting through the event, knowing they'd probably be safe. Mm-hmm. September 11 changed all of that. Yeah. And I think it's made Americans much more willing to step up uh, and um, do what they can to protect themselves and other people as it, a result. Yeah. I, one of the things that people often lament about the passage of time, maybe this is kind of the uh, mirror image or the flip side of that same coin, uh, folks can recall the the way the country seemed so unified in the days and weeks immediately following 9-11, and that is something that didn't particularly last long. But then again, that too, you could also probably trace back to 9-11 in the sense that it has been leveraged for various political purposes to political ends. No, that's certainly true, although I'm not sure I would um, blame our current political issues on 9-11 in any sense. Not necessarily to directly tie uh, any of our uh, political issues now uh, to that, but there was uh, certainly a a rise, a noticeable rise in nationalism uh, and fear of or or suspicion of those from outside the United States, particularly the Middle East. And that has, over the course of the past 20 years, sort of percolated and fermented into some of what we have seen uh, even today. That I would absolutely agree with. Um, that that has, in fact, occurred, and that's not a good aspect of this kind of this of this event. Um, I, perhaps because I'm essentially an optimist, you know, I have a great deal of faith in the American people to pull together again if necessary, mm-hmm. if they have to, right? And and overcome um, some of the you know the fractional mm-hmm. events that have occurred since. Yeah, you know, the the tribalism, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing and the other part of this, because it's the 20th anniversary and much has been made in recent years about the fact that uh, young adults today really have no meaningful recollection of 9-11 at this point. Many of them, uh, many of, of your students, I'm sure, not even born yet when 9-11 happened. So when we talk about the impact that it has had uh, on society, uh, whether we're talking about our politics or the way we live our lives or you know what any of the influence, how do you talk about that and how do you impress upon that uh, to young adults who don't know a pre nine eleven world? Well, the way I approach it is, and I and I do um, use September eleventh um, as an example um, in various classes that I have is I, I use one of the films that NBC or, or 
um, CBS, other you know reputable news agencies did on the events that show that the the twin towers um, as they were hit and then mm-hmm. collapsed, and that show the Pentagon, um, and then and then we talk about it. And um, for what it's worth, I was in the Pentagon on September 9th, and mm. therefore I have um, recollections of yeah. what occurred. Yeah. And so then I open up the, the, the discussion to my class and let them ask me questions and talk about it and talk about what it meant to me, um, what they see now, how they put um, these events together. And, um, and it normally we have a very good conversation about the events, what happened, changes, mm-hmm. how the government's responded, um, how people have responded. And so... Yes, my students, by and large, were not born um, when the events occurred. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not interested yeah. and um, and have strong feelings about, you know, what they themselves would do if they were in that kind of event. Because for me, I, I you know, obviously, I, I don't have any memory of Pearl Harbor. I mean, 9-11 has been uh, described as, as this generation's Pearl Harbor. And uh, I, I don't have any recollection uh, of that other than hearing the stories that my grandparents would talk about, you know, how it impacted them. But it it really it, it's very difficult for me to, you know, kind of comprehend the way the world changed as a result of, of Pearl Harbor. So I'm wondering for you know today's young people, is there that same struggle uh, or, or that uh, you know that same challenge in in understanding just how significant it was. I suppose my observation would be that um, do they do the current students understand deeply at this point in time the change that was mm-hmm. in particular the change from you know and the previously we'd regarded largely nations as being potentially threats right and that having non-nation threats and smallish groups being able to create damage um, should cause them concern, all of us concern. Um, I happen to know from personal experience um, that the government's efforts to combat this have really been very successful um, because we've seen, I've seen um, efforts to do various other kinds of attacks and um, um, and use airplanes in particular, transportation means, mm-hmm. um, as a terrorist device again. So I think there is reason for concern, and there's also reason for you know hope that we can continue to fight it and continue to take appropriate actions so that the majority of Americans can live the life they want to live, you know, in the midst of their family and their community and their churches, even though... There yeah. are threats out there. And will continue to uh, be so uh, moving forward. That's one thing that uh, uh, we will, uh, that we certainly have learned uh, out of uh, 9-11 is that uh, the, the threats will never truly uh, go away. Reflecting on uh, some of the thoughts of the way things have changed since 9-11 and the way we have changed and the way we think about uh, the world today, 20 years on. Again, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Buchanan. Is an assistant professor of history at the University of Findlay. Uh, Dr. Buchanan, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks very much.
Well, of course, this has been a week of reflection and remembrance as we approach the 20th anniversary of the events of September 11th. As we mentioned earlier in the week, in the years since that awful day, 9-11 has become a day of service, a way to remember those who were lost and honor those who stepped up in the subsequent war on terror. The Mission Continues is an organization empowering veterans to continue their service as part of a nationwide movement to transform their communities. They have launched this week what they are calling Operation Enduring Service. We are joined by Naval Academy graduate, Marine Corps officer, and the Mission Continues president, Mary Beth Brueggemann. And uh, Mary Beth, first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, org- uh, origins of uh, your organization, the idea behind it, and, and the role that you play for veterans once they return home? Sure. <clears throat> Good morning. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, so the Mission Continues is a national nonprofit that empowers veterans to find additional ways to continue their service right here at home. And um, we were founded, <clears throat> excuse me, we were founded in 2007 and are a direct product of these, this post 9-11 generation of veterans coming home from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and needing something really different from their communities and from our country when they came home and needing very much to feel needed, in fact, and to feel purposeful and to have a place to um, to direct their service and continue to build the skills, build on the skills and experience they were bringing with them from the military. And that's what the mission continues seeks to do. So we are helping veterans not only continue their own leadership development journey and grow as leaders here at home, um, but also to take those additional skills and all the tools that they're gaining and to point them in the direction of the greatest need in communities. Um, veterans are really used to going where they're needed and and going towards the greatest need, and that's exactly what we're helping them do right here at home. So talk about the Operation Enduring Service campaign and how it fits into all of that. Yeah, Operation Enduring Service is an extended campaign that will take us all the way through Veterans Day in November this year. And it is about commemorating the day of 9-11, you know, and the anniversary that we have upcoming, the 20-year anniversary. And also it's about celebrating the two decades of service that were sparked on that day on 9-11 20 years ago. So we're elevating the stories of service of not only this incredible, this really selfless all-volunteer force that raised their right hand to serve, many of them raising their right hand after Mm 9-11, knowing they were heading into a wartime posture, um, and who came home, took their uniforms off, and then said, wait, I'm not done, I have so much more to give, and chose to continue to serve in their own communities. So how does this campaign then tell the story of these veterans? I understand that there are a number of events that are taking place uh, around the country. Talk a little bit about how people will see this campaign or or how uh, people can be a part of the campaign. Sure. Um, Operation Enduring Service will mark this these last two decades of service through both service and storytelling. And our service projects, um, this is a, a standard for us. We do service projects. 365 days a year in more than 40 cities across the country. Um, and we, we've we got about 80 projects planned between now and Veterans Day in those cities. Uh, and so all of those projects will be focused on continuing to help folks find ways to serve in their community. And then at the same time, we are collecting and cataloging the stories of everybody in this country who is willing to submit a story to tell us a little bit about where they were on the day of 9-11 and how that day changed 
their trajectory in life and inspired them in some way to, um, to serve. We're going to take all of that and package it up and, and tell those stories and in hopes that it will inspire future generations to step up and serve in their communities and to serve in their country. With this being such a milestone anniversary, it has caused many to stop and think about the lasting impact, the legacy of 9-11. We've been doing that all this week on the program. Is this it? I mean, is this what we should think of when we think of 9-11? Is this ultimately how we, in the, in the larger, larger philosophical sense, is this ultimately how we defeat the evil of the world that attacked us 20 years ago? You know, I, I really think that if we can focus on the inspiration that we all felt and the unity we felt as a country in the days following 9-11, that can be incredibly uh, meaningful and impactful in this country. And if we can also celebrate and recognize and follow the leadership of veterans in this country who sacrificed so much in the last 20 years and came home again just to say, hey, I have so much more to give. I'm, I'm going to just continue to keep on serving in any way that I can. That's the best that our country has to offer right there. And that's exactly what I hope folks will think of when they think about 9-11. I, I, I really want, I know that the day um, we mark it with such, with such a, a solemn uh, tone and rightly so. It was a tragic day. It also brought us together and inspired um, a, two decades of service that, um, that are tremendously meaningful and that we will all be able to learn from and be inspired by if we can, if we can share those stories. And I know that uh, your organization and the Operation Enduring Service campaign is aimed squarely at veterans who, as you say, continue to serve their communities after they are done serving their country. But this also certainly serves as an inspiration, I, I think, for the rest of us to step up and do the same. And that is uh, maybe the the extra added uh, bonus or benefit uh, to all of this. Well, that's just it. You know, I, I really think you nailed it. This we are we are telling the stories of service that center on veteran leadership, but not just to tell the stories of veteran leadership. All of that is intended to inspire <clears throat> the non-veterans amongst us and everyone in this country to find ways to serve their community and their country. Um, so while we focus our resources on veterans, we, they make up less than 1% of the country's population. Mm -hmm. So this really is about using them as points of inspiration so that they can create a, a huge lasting ripple effect of impact across the country. Uh, again, as we look back uh, on the lasting impact and legacy of 9-11, uh, speaking with the uh, president of The Mission Continues and their Operation Enduring Service campaign, Mary Beth Brueggemann with us this morning. And where do people get more information uh, about this campaign and about the organization itself? Well, we would love to have folks join us in this movement of service. Um, you can go to missioncontinues.org to learn more about how you can get involved. And either get out and put your boots on the ground next to us and, and serve in your community alongside us. Uh, uh, you know, you can choose lots of other ways to activate, including sharing your own 9-11 story and how, how that day shaped your life. Um, and we always welcome folks to um, find ways to support this, this work. We will link up to it on our webpage as well. Mary Beth, thanks very much for taking the time. Thank you for your service and your continuing service. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for sharing the story today. 
Well, as you may have heard, the local commemoration of 9-11's 20th anniversary will be tomorrow with a parade and memorial service in Findlay. Findlay Police Department Sergeant Dan Harmon has been leading up the effort to put it all together, joins us on the line this morning. And uh, Dan, I would imagine this is one of those events that it doesn't take a lot of convincing to get people to participate. Uh, it does not. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, uh, help in, in organizing this. It's, uh, even though they claim that I'm leading it up, there's a lot of people involved in getting this done. Absolutely. So give us all of the uh, details uh, on this event. It's actually the, the parade route is going to be uh, maybe a little different than some other parades that we've been familiar with. Kind of lay this all out for us. Oh, yeah. The parade is going to start on Lake Cascades, um, and it will be heading northbound on Main Street and then eastbound on Sandusky Street out to the fairgrounds where the ceremony will be held. Uh, the parade starts at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning. And it's hopefully to be done by uh, 9.30 at the, at the fairgrounds mm-hmm. or whenever we get there. And it's not your traditional parade. Uh, this is going to be straight-up uh, vehicles only uh, for time constraints and the length of the parade. Yeah. So this will be open to all first responder vehicles, uh, military organizations, military vehicles. And then the memorial uh, that will be held at the uh, at the fairgrounds at the uh, old Millstream Center, right? Actually, it's going to be held at the Gospel Pavilion. Oh, at the Gospel a Pavilion. Bit of a My apologies. Con- yeah. Okay. Scheduling conflict, but uh, we will be at the Gospel Pavilion where uh, we will conduct a ceremony of uh, uh, a couple of guest speakers. Um, we will have uh, the lighting of the candles and remembrance of all those that we've lost. Uh, that day on 9-11 and in remembrance of the military and first responders that continue to do their jobs and have lost their lives over the time uh, battling the global war on terror. You know, this is one of those events. It it didn't happen locally, but obviously it's something that has touched all of our lives and certainly uh, the uh, aspect of honoring first responders and uh, those in the military uh, Finley, like every other community uh, across the country, has has done its part uh, with respect to the uh, events of 9-11 and the 20 years since. That's correct. Um, like I said, it, it uh, it's a ripple effect, especially when it, it uh, hurts the community like that, hurts the country like that. It's just something that we'll never forget, and we have to honor all those uh, civilians who lost their lives that day. And like I said, all the folks that have lost their lives after the fact on the, in, in the military. Um, it's just something we have to remember and never forget. Absolutely. So again, uh, everything begins at 9 o'clock. Uh, again, uh, 6th Street and Lake Cascades, uh, the uh, intersection there north on Main, and then uh, out uh, on Sandusky to the uh, fairgrounds for the memorial. And you said it all starts at uh, 9 a.m. with the parade, right? That is correct. Anybody that wants to be in the parade that's a first responder, military organization, or military vehicles uh, needs to be lined up uh, or between 8 and 9 and they will come in off of Western Avenue to face eastbound on Lake Cascades. Very good. Again, uh, Findlay Police Department Sergeant uh, Dan Harmon with us this morning, uh, kind of uh, heading up, uh, spearheading the uh, effort in Findlay's uh, commemoration of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Dan, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. 
Yes, today's update in the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. The police department in Geneva, Wisconsin, is looking for the rightful owner of an undeliverable UPS package. If you are the rightful owner, they would very much like to speak with you. The department posted to their Facebook page yesterday offering a phone number and the name of an officer to call if you think that they may be in possession of your three large bags full of marijuana. Uh, according to the uh, Facebook post, uh, the uh, package was delivered to the wrong address and the listed return address appeared to be incorrect. Uh, but the package's aroma clued the delivery driver into the contents. So they're looking <laughs> they very much like to find the rightful owner <laughs> of, this, of this package. You can call the police department and they'd be happy to happy to arrange uh, to uh well, not put you in touch with the, uh, uh, deliver the contents necessarily, but you get the idea. <laughs> um, elsewhere in the uh, broken news. Now, this has probably happened to everyone who has had a roommate at one time or the other. You have a disagreement with your uh, roommate. Roommates don't always get along. A Pennsylvania woman admitted that uh, she had an argument over her roommate over how loud she was. Police were called to the scene where... Shannon Erb was waiting for them. Uh, she admitted to officers on the uh, scene and to detectives at the police station that uh, they had been arguing. She and her roommate had been arguing about uh, how loud she was. So, so she stabbed her roommate. That's <laughs> good way to resolve an, an argument. I get the last word. Stab the roommate. The roommate uh, apparently is going to uh, recover. She has been charged with attempted homicide, two counts of aggravated assault, and recklessly endangering another person. So she's probably looking for another roommate, I would imagine. That's <laughs> at least one of them is. An Illinois woman so upset that uh, she, uh, let's see here, that it, uh, Illinois woman so upset that her uh, son would miss school that she falsely claimed a bomb was on a plane at a South Florida uh, airport after missing her flight. <laughs> you miss your flight, so you call, uh, call in a bomb threat. That sounds perfectly logical. Marina Verbitsky was with her husband and son Monday night at Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport when they missed their JetBlue flight. Prosecutors say she was yelling profanities at the employees and said a bomb was in her already checked luggage. Which was on the plane. The luggage made the flight. She did not. And she said, well, I claimed that there was a bomb on, uh, in her uh, already checked luggage. Passengers were evacuated and the pla uh, plane was searched, but no explosives were found. Ms. Verbitsky was arrested and charged with falsely reporting a bomb. <laughs> and she still missed her flight. It didn't work. She still missed her flight and her son uh, still missed school. And sometimes you just can't catch a break. <laughs> uh, we had the uh, story of the uh, police trying to find the owner of that uh, package of marijuana in uh, Kosovo. This uh, story in the uh, broken news, a prisoner there uh, who attempted to hide a cell phone by swallowing it had to have the phone surgically removed. 
You know that prisoners will try and sneak just about any kind of contraband into jail, but this is an extreme case. The 33-year-old prisoner had been complaining of stomach pains for several days before uh, doctors discovered what he had done, trying to sneak a cell phone into jail by swallowing it. Not too bright. Fortunately, a surgeon was able to remove the phone uh, with a uh, minor procedure in just a couple of hours. He'll be fine, but <laughs> probably in a, in a bit of hot water with the authorities for that one. Um, let's say, normally, and we say this, uh, generally speaking, when people die, it's, it's not humorous. There's very little humor in people losing their life. So we don't, don't generally have people die in the uh, broken news. We kind of move on. We don't. But sometimes the circumstances are so bizarre. A man in British Columbia uh, is dead after what officials describe as a freak accident at the McDonald's drive through The Vancouver Police Department reports the man had been paying for his order at a drive through window when he dropped his card. And he goes to give the card to the cashier and he drops it. So while he was in the process of opening his door and reaching down to retrieve his car, his car lurched forward, colliding with the restaurant and crushing him between the door and the door frame. Emergency responders were called, but the man reportedly passed away at the scene and investigation into the incident remains ongoing. Now, how crazy is that? I mean, they say that McDonald's kill you, but not not in that way. That's... Really bizarre. And finally, in the broken news this morning, police say they have arrested a man in South Windsor, Connecticut, after he threatened to chop another person's head off. An open 911 call was made by the victim where John Mackey was allegedly heard saying, I'm going to cut your head off. <laughs> well, that will get the attention of authorities. Police, police helped the victim climb out of a window and arrested Mr. Mackey at the scene. He is charged with second-degree threatening and second-degree violation of his probation. So, there you go. That's definitely a winner. Now, chop your head off. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news uh, report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veteran Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Hello, I'm Jerry Stewart. It was 20 years ago that a normal day in America turned to be a day that will never be forgotten. The day, September the 11th, 2001. And here we are today, still mourning, still remembering, still fighting terror. Please join me here on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM for my special 9-11 20-year tribute program, Remembering 9-11, airing Saturday morning, September the 11th at 7 a.m. Please join me. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives with the upcoming 20th anniversary of 9-11 this weekend. Just 49% of Americans say that the United States is safer from terrorism than it was before 9-11. A decade ago, that was 64%, and now it's just 49 This is according to a new poll, ABC News and the Washington Post. 51% say the United States has become less safe since 9-11, reflecting both renewed partisan divisions and the tumultuous withdrawal 
of American forces from Afghanistan. Tumultuous. That's one way of putting it, I guess. Uh, A vast 86% say the events of September 11th had a lasting effect on the United States. No big surprise there. But underscoring the sour mood of the public on this issue, 46% say it has been a change for the worse. And that is a new high. 33% say that it's been a change for the better. And it was double that in the spring of 2022. Kind of interesting. Specifically, compared with 2011, the sense that the country is safer from terrorism now than it was before 9-11 is down 28 percentage points among Republicans to 41 percent compared with a slight nine point uh, decrease among Democrats to 57 percent. It is down 12 points among independents at 52 percent. And beyond partisan or ideological differences, 57% of older Americans say that the country is less safe from terrorism post 9-11 versus 37% of those younger than, than the age of 65. Men are more likely than women to say that the country has changed for the worse, 53 versus 40%. And college graduates, uh, compared to those without a degree, uh, more likely to say that the country has changed for the worse, 55 to 41 percent. It is week number four of the high school football season kicking off tonight. The Trojans had no trouble with Bowling Green last week, but the big story out of that game was a change at quarterback. This week on the Coach's Corner, our John Marshall caught up with head coach Stephen Adams. You made the change from Max Roth to Ryan Montgomery for the game last week. What prompted that switch? You know, we, we know, we've known what we've had all summer long, the possibilities of, of what our offense looks like with both guys in the game. Um, and ultimately, you know, as much as I may preach to the staff, we want to get the best 11 guys on the field. We want to get our athletes on the field. We want to be able to uh, really exploit the defense and, and have them on our heels a little bit. How do we do that? How do we get there? And, you know, we just kind of knew – after game one with Anthony Wayne and him, you know, Ben basically being almost triple teamed, having a, line, a corner on him, having a linebacker underneath of him and having the safety over the top. But that was going to present some problems and challenges for us as far as kind of how we get him the ball and how we move him around. So we looked at it and we said, hey, you know what? Um, Ryan's had two good games. Davey Wise under his belt. Uh, got, his, got his arms warm. And Max has been so selfless and kind of how he's approached the whole thing. And uh, he said, I'll do whatever helps the team out. And we felt like we had the best guys when we had this offensive set. Uh, on the field on Friday, and uh, I think it came into fruition. Terrific to have a player who has started at a position for two years, particularly quarterback, yep. who then says, "Hey, if it's going to be good for the team, it's good for me." Yeah, you can't uh, enough. I can't give enough credit to to Max Roth. Um, you know, obviously one of my one of my favorites, and I got a lot of favorites because a lot of guys that do what we ask them to do, got guys that buy into that team mentality. He's been awesome with Ryan the whole time. Uh, there's been no ego. There's been no nothing in between. Uh, he supported him, and, um, you know, Max is, uh, has been awesome. And it was kind of cool and, and really in the game when we were, you know, looking to take a shot. Uh, and Ryan actually read our mind and said, hey, let's get, let's get a shot to Max. You know, it just shows you right there kind of the chemistry, the kind of togetherness that we have on the team and how those two really have interacted. So uh, not enough credit can go to Max Roth and his selflessness because that's not an easy thing to do for anybody uh, in that position. It seemed to work out really well for your Trojans. You get the wind over Bowling Green. 
any performances in particular you'd like to call out? Yeah, I think just uh, let's start with the staff first. Um, I thought if, uh, we, you know, we went back to the drawing board. I challenged them to be positive, uh, to try to find the, the positive things that we had from the Perrysburg game, and then find out how we can get better ASAP uh, for our Bowling Green game. And everybody put their head down, went back to work. I uh, was really proud of the, the offensive linemen for protecting Ryan, of course, but also opening up holes in the run game as well, too. Isaac James and Alex Tice did a phenomenal job running hard and decisive, what I challenged them to do. Uh, very proud of the defensive, uh, the whole defensive crew. They got a shutout, so everybody gets a shutout, you know. They tackled well, they put their assignments well, they did their job well, and then really happy with our special teams and how sound we were and kind of some of the things that we did to mess around a little bit to kind of keep things off balance. Number 16 for them is a freshman. Uh, has a great return uh, ability, and we really kind of messed around and did not put the ball in his hands at all. So just proud all around of, of the whole team, the coaching staff, and, uh, of course, I, I'd be sure if I did not acknowledge the community. Uh, the student section was awesome. They had some things going on. They organized, and also our band as well. Now, this week, yep. you have quite a challenge. You head to Toledo to face Central Catholic. Their record doesn't look great, one and two, but... Those losses are to Cleveland St. Edwards and Cleveland Benedictine that are a combined 6-0. and I would think your team knows that score. Yeah, I mean, we, we, know, we, know, we know who and what and all that good stuff, but I really try to keep our, our focus centered on uh, the next opponent uh, and simply that week, that day. So, like, right now, we just came off of practice, and all I was focused on was, as, was my theme of the week being everything matters, today matters, this moment matters, this next opponent matters. So no matter the record, no matter who we're playing, all we're worried about right now is getting better today in preparation for those guys on Friday. So what do you see in the Irish as you look at film? Yeah, you see a bunch of guys that can run. Uh, you know, want guys that you know want to be physical, mix it up. Um, uh, talented guys, you know, decent all around. And uh, competitors. You can see they, they want to compete and they love competing. And from the first snap to the last snap. I know better than to look too far ahead, but mm-hmm. you have Central Catholic followed by 2-1 and one Whitmer and 3-0 and oh Fremont Ross. It's kind of a meat grinder. How is your team doing in terms of injuries? Uh, right now, everybody seems to be holding up uh, fairly well. Uh, big, big credit goes to Avery Lane, who kind of runs our strength conditioning program, and kind of a you know guys worked with uh, my buddy Chad Wagner at the university. We've worked closely with those guys over there, and uh, at how we approach our strength conditioning program, our guys are doing really well. They're holding up well. They they still seem fresh uh, and ready to go on Friday nights. So uh, so far, we're doing pretty well. Definitely want to keep everyone healthy for this upcoming three-game stretch. The Trojans are at Toledo Central Catholic this evening. Our coverage begins with tonight in high school football from the Ohio News Network right after the 6 o'clock news, followed by Tim Montgomery and Cliff Height with a call here on 1330 WFIN, WFIN WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Other action we are following tonight around the area. Macomb is at Van Buren. That is our BBC Game of the Week on our sister station, 100.5 WKXA. Uh, Corey Rawson travels to our uh, to Arlington. Uh, Pandora Gilboa is at Arcadia. Riverdale is at Van Lu tonight. Lipsick at Ada. Faustoria at Elmwood. Mohawk travels to Upper Sandusky. Colonel Crawford comes to Cary. Bluffton is at Spencerville. Columbus Grove at Delphus Jefferson. Hopewell Loudon is at Lakota. Harden Northern is at Ridgedale. And St. Mary's is at Ottawa Glendorf tonight over on 100 uh, on uh, 106.3 The Fox. And on Saturday, Liberty Benton will host the Greyhounds of Wilmington, Pennsylvania. Originally, the Eagles were scheduled to host North Baltimore, but the Tigers with a COVID issue had to back out of that game. And uh, so it all kind of fell in place for uh, for the Eagles with uh, Wilmington 
facing the same situation for the second week in a row. They've only played one game so far this year, but it was a big win over one of their uh, nearby rivals, like 50 to nothing. So this would be a a good challenge for the uh, Liberty Benton Eagles. The Greyhounds making the three-hour trip from Wilmington, Pennsylvania uh, to Findlay on Saturday evening. That will be a 7 o'clock kickoff uh, Saturday night. You can follow all of those games and more in real time on the WFIN scoreboard page, powered by ScoreStream and presented by Owens Community College at WFIN.com slash scoreboard and linked up at goodmornings.net. And, of course, catch the Coach's Corner with John Marshall live from Ralphie's Wednesday evenings at 6 or anytime on demand at WFIN.com. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Once again, thanks to all of our guests for joining us this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday, Amazon, which will soon be opening a facility here in Finley, has announced a billion-dollar expansion of its career choice program to pay college tuition and upskill training programs for its workers. We'll get details. So until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.